Hello, everyone. The crux of the story is back. I'm Gary Sheffer, professor of the practice of public relations at Boston University's College of Communication. I believe this is the 108th episode of the crux of the story, where we look at sort of the art and practice and science, I guess, behind public relations and other communication topics. Sitting across from me virtually anyway is Mike Fernandez, co-host and chief communications officer at Enbridge. Hello, Mike. Welcome back to 108. Welcome to The Crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communications that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives. Hello, this is Gary Shepard. Hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University. Yeah, hi, Gary. Uh, Quick question for you. Both of us have spent a major part of our careers working in public relations and serving as chief communications officers. Uh, When you were growing up, and even as maybe you went to college, did you think you wanted to be a chief communications officer or even know what that was? Uh, Mike, it's a great question. I had no idea that they even existed. Um, You know, my view of communications, you know, I grew up in the Watergate era, and people who practiced it was... So just to be clear, you were not a plumber. No, I was not. Well, you know, maybe I should have been, you know, they could, you know, in demand these days. But was the guys at the, you know, Ziegler and those guys at the podium in the White House? That's the only thing I knew about communication. So it's it's a good question. And, you know, one we deal with at places like BU and the College of Communication. Why do you ask, Mike? Well, given our guest today. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, here we go. Um, it, it's, a, it's a good question, given that Don's with us. We have the privilege to have Don Spetner on the crux um, for communications leaders thinking about how to organize your teams, uh, what the environment means for you from a skills and capabilities standpoint. You'll want to listen to today's episode with Don. Uh, He has over 30 years of experience in the communication field. He is a senior corporate advisor with Weber Shanwick, or do we call it the Weber Collective now, Don? Uh, Let's stick with Weber Shanwick. Okay, let's go with Weber (laughs) Shanwick, where he consults with clients on improving organizational structure, identifying and developing talent, and employing best-in-class practices for a leading world-class communications function. He has the unique experience of having served as a CCO, Chief Communications Officer for Nissan North America, Sun America, and Corn Ferry International, while also having recruited and placed CCOs for major organizations. Before we dive in, Don, tell us a little bit about your role at Weber and the type of clients you work with, and what are CCOs thinking about these days? Well, it's a great question. Um, I think one of the ways I want to describe what I do is something that happened to me probably 20 or 25 years ago. I was interviewing for the role of chief communications officer for mobile oil. It gives you an idea how long ago it was because there was a mobile oil. And in the interview process, uh, they had a guy named Jim Lindheim interview me. And he had been the chair of Burson Marsteller. And he was a consultant now, and he just worked with 
mobile on kind of helping them with their comms department on all kinds of issues. And I ended up hiring Jim when I was at Nissan because I was so impressed with him. And he helped me with my org structure, my people, my issues with senior management. And I thought, you know, one day I'd like to do what Jim Lindheim does, but you need to be older and wiser in order to do that. And finally, I became older uh, and maybe (laughs) wiser. And so that's what I do now. I really essentially help CCOs with the running of their department. A lot Mm -hmm. of times that's a major reorg of the function, but sometimes it's just thinking through what's happening to the function, what should we be looking at? Can we benchmark some other companies to see what they're doing? How do we stay current with best practices? And here's what I'm struggling with in running this department. So, so Don, on the second part of that, so just as a sort of a teaser for our listeners, what's on their minds generally, and then we'll dive into some of these topics. Yeah, we're going to dive into them because the last certainly 10 or 15 years have brought more complexity and more change to the function than I think in the previous 50 or 60 years. And you throw the pandemic on top of it and the function has never been more valued, but it's also never been more complicated. So how to, I think working with employees has become a major issue and how Mm -hmm. to help management communicate and think through employee-related issues. All kinds of different stakeholders now have access to their own communications networks and are using them either for or against the company. How do you keep talent? I'd say these are sort of the biggest issues that CCOs are grappling with right now. Yeah, Don, welcome to the Crux. You, one of the things that you do, you're kind of a, uh, to me, you've, you've been kind of a renaissance man and that you've touched everything imaginable around communications. <laughs> but as, as a columnist for PR Week, you, you've written on a variety of topics. One of your recent columns was for the 25th anniversary of PR Week. I'm just kind of curious if you took a snapshot from 25 years ago and then looked at uh, the function today. What are you telling clients about what is coming next? Well, if I look at the last 25 years, it, the, the massive transformation has happened in what I'll just call, we're in an age of radical transparency. So if you think about pre-internet, you know, look, the core function of public relations was media relations. It was, it was a way of getting third-party endorsement and publicity and um, awareness without having to pay for it. And that was the primary way that you communicated besides advertising, direct mail, and other things like that. Well, that has been sidelined, and literally everyone now has access to their own bullhorn and communications network. Uh, I'll give you three real life examples of how dramatically the challenge has changed for communicators. The first one that really hit me was 2010, the British petroleum oil spill, Deepwater Horizon. Mm -hmm. You know, they have this awful oil spill in the Gulf and they're trying to figure out how to deal with it. I'm watching CNN, it's probably day five or six. And throughout the entire CNN broadcast, In the upper right-hand corner, they have a 24-hour live spill cam of the oil 
yep. gushing into the water. Remember? And I thought to myself, oh my God, if I'm the head of communications for BP, there's literally nothing I can say until we stop the oil leak. So you're wasting your time with any statement you have about what we're planning to do, what we're thinking, what we're trying to do, why? because in the meantime, the entire world can see this stuff gushing into the oil. That's radical transparency. That, that means there's no spin here. There's no, you got to stop that oil spill. The second incident that really hit me was the United Airlines 2017 dragging the passenger down the aisle. Yeah, exactly. And I thought to myself, you know, it's possible that airlines have been forcefully dragging people out of planes for 50 years. But think about it. Before a smartphone and social media, you would have had to have had a camcorder on your shoulder. You would have had to shot the video. You then would have had to somehow get it to a TV station who would have had to agree to air it. And we're in a world now where you shoot the video and you upload it and it's you post it. It's just a massive, massive change in what communications people have to deal with. And then the third and most recent one I'll use is, is Bud Light. I'm just, I'm still in shock at how quickly that brand got Destroyed is a strong word, but massively damaged. Their PE multiple got damaged. They've they've probably suffered a loss where they cannot rebuild that brand to where it was because a low-level promotion that they probably spent 10 grand on of giving a, uh, I don't know what you call it, a commemorative can to a trans influencer blew up. I, I, unimaginable how you could have seen that, prevented it. And we'll talk about that in terms of the things that are challenging comms heads. But so that's what the last 25 years has wrought. It was a hard job when the three of us did it. And Mike, you're still doing it. Yeah. And now it's just the level of complexity is, has really increased. Um, well, and I remember when the you know 2010 happened in particular because I actually was at the time the chief communications officer at State Farm Insurance, and as a consequence of that, we actually ran an internal exercise that we called Hurricane mm -hmm. YouTube, which was trying to say, okay, what happens in a future circumstance when the Klieg lights are on, and not only are there truthful you know, transparent things showing up, but also things that aren't quite so truthful and are being manipulated. And how do you deal with both? Um, so you mentioned the pandemic earlier. Clearly, the pandemic has improved the perceived value of communications, in particular, employee communications. Uh, one of your columns focused on how communications now has a seat at the table. However, you also discuss how the issues facing the function have never been more complex, uh, never been more challenging, and the performance bar really has been raised ever higher. Uh, what are the critical skills, as you see them today, that communicators need to have in order to excel in today's world? That's a great question. Some of the skills are unchanged over the last, you know, five or six decades, which are 
you must have great business acumen. You still have to be a great writer. You have to understand great communications. You need great judgment. And you need very high EQ. You, you need to know how to relate to people, manage mm-hmm. people. The new skills, I really think, are around data fluency and I'll call it technological proficiency. <laughs> um, it is the, the good news is there's great resources and data available. The bad news is we're, most of us in the communications world are not trained in that world. And we have to get we have to get more comfortable with it. The function itself has to be more predictive, and it has to be more data driven. So a little less reactive, and still make judgment calls. But those judgment calls really need to be grounded in demonstrable data. Wow, it's uh, it's so hard for me. I, I am having uh, honestly, like Chat GPT. Yeah. I thought I had my arms around it about three months ago, four months ago. And it's impossible to keep up with the speed of the advances. You know, I read as much as I can. Ethan Mollick, you know, some of the professors here at BU, I talk to them. I mean, how does a CCO, Don, keep up with the pace of technological change? It's a, it's a great question. I think... The reality is you have to start hiring people who are extremely good at it and better than you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you you explore as much as you can, but come on, we all have limited uh, bandwidth yeah. and capacity. And it is a world that you just, you need to be very technologically fluent to fully understand it. And you yeah. have to live in it. Yeah. Yeah, and yes. you have to be agile, yes. right? I mean, the, the, the you know, the, the, the reality is the pace of change is never right. going to be right. slower. Yeah, unfortunately for me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, so, so now we talked about skills, Don. So how do you build that into an organization today? You know, you consult with clients on this. And what does a modern communications function, given everything you've said about radical transparency, skills changing, technological challenges... What is a modern communicate? I know it's it's different for different yeah, industries yeah. and it's different for size and all of that. But generally, what do you look at that is, is effective today? I, if I look at all the different org designs I've worked on in different company sizes and industries, there's kind of three big trends that most of them are headed toward in terms of org structure. The first is what I'll call stakeholder management (laughs) and this is really a move more toward a corporate affairs department where you have government relations regulatory affairs engineering ir uh, esg dei all coming together along with your traditional comms functions because you never know which of these stakeholders is going to erupt on you or offer an opportunity. And that's where I see most heads of communication struggling because they are so interrelated. And so there's such confluence now among all these different stakeholders. So I think we used to call it issues management. We, you know, we'd get together once a week or every two weeks and people would share what's going on. And that just doesn't cut it anymore. It has to, you have to actively be, on top of all these different areas. Uh, And that's part of this. So the second 
which I referenced earlier, is, is analytics and measurement. Um, it's being called different things, but it really is a, a sophisticated data capability. And that's a new, relatively new area to the comms function. A lot of resistance to it. Management doesn't want to invest in it. Uh, they'll say, oh, there's an analytics department sitting over in marketing or over in a different area. Why don't you just use them? But the really good companies are starting to build their own capability in this area. Um, one thing I think about all the time, one of my sons is the director of business analytics for the Dodgers baseball team. And he told me That's about- fun. Yeah, it is fun. And, and I get tickets, which is nice. Um, uh, even but, better. <laughs> he told me when they were looking at how to optimize ticket pricing, they built a computer model of Dodger Stadium. You could click on any seat in the stadium and it would tell you how much that how much revenue that seat generated last year it could tell you game by game what they charged uh, and how that changed depending on who they were playing or uh, what day of the week it was and i just thought wow if i were a cco and i had a team that could build me i don't know a model of my six different critical stakeholders and if i asked how they felt about trade or inflation or gender issues or wouldn't that be remarkable? And, and I think we have to envision a day when the function will be like that, where you have access to that kind of data. Yeah. Uh, and then the third is kind of interesting. It's, 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 I've been noticing it of late in the last six to 12 months. Most departments have long had a department, uh, most functions have had a department they called content, um, usually content creation. It used to be called creative studios or things like that. What I'm seeing clients move toward now is a true senior person directing content strategy. In other words, the idea is what is the message? Who are we sending it to? And what's the best channel or methodology to get to that specific audience? It's actually quite sophisticated. And it is the core of what the function does now in terms of outreach. Exactly. So I'm seeing that get elevated and kind of consolidated. Yeah, that's fantastic. And Don, I do want to follow up uh, on something you said about leadership um, for CCOs because they have this broad remit now, yeah. um, increasing in some cases budgets, maybe flat in others, which is in communications, maybe a positive uh, thing if your budget's flat. Um, how do how do you become a better leader as a CCO? Somebody has recognized in you the potential and the capability already to be a good leader, but how do you continue to self-learn about leadership? That's a really, really good question. Um, one of the uh, pivotal moments in my own career, I was at Nissan. I was relatively young. I was the head of corporate communications for North America. And, uh, the US CEO, who was my boss, at my performance review, he said to me, you have to stop ripping open your shirt to show the Superman logo underneath and handling everything. You've got mm -hmm. to bring in smart people that you trust and you can delegate to mm -hmm. and you can move up. And I think that it's it's an age old uh, 
truism about leadership, and I think it is still very true, even more so in the comms function, is you have to be open, you have to be self-aware, you have to know where your true expertise lies and then where you need to rely on others and you need to nurture those people and grow them. And uh, it's what any great leader does. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to do it in comms. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Crux. On The Crux, we discuss the intersection of communications, business, and society. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and on our website at thecruxpodcast.org. Now, let's get back to the episode. Well, it sounds as though perhaps what you look for now when you're trying to help an organization find communications leaders is a little different than maybe it was in the past. When you were a partner for the executive search practice at for the corporate affairs executive search practice at Corn Ferry, uh, you cre- you recruited a number of chief communications officers for client companies, including Chevron, uh, Yahoo, Gen- Gen- Genentech, uh, Microsoft, and even the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Give us a few examples of today, what you see as key characteristics. No, no, no. Uh, give us a few examples uh, today of the key characteristics you would use to determine who would be the most successful candidates. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and what does that look like? Uh, you know, interestingly, in many ways for the true top job, business acumen, gravitas. I talked about EQ, which is really sort of human interpersonal skills. Companies still want someone with all of those senior capabilities, but also an ability to roll up their sleeves when the stuff hits the fan. You still need to be able to write. You still need to know what it means to call a reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, And your CEO is counting on you to do that. I think some of the newer competencies are around data fluency and technology and at least an appreciation and an understanding of those emerging areas Um, and how communications works now. It is dramatically different. Uh, And you want someone who's pretty immersed in the world of social and how things move about. I want to share with you, this was really interesting. When I was at Corn Ferry, we acquired a company called Lominger. It was a, it was a big team of uh, behavioral psychologists who did nothing but study why executives succeed or derail and why teams perform well. And they had a list of the critical competencies for success at an executive level. And maybe more interestingly, the critical flameout factors. So I'll run through those very quickly for you. But The critical competencies at an executive level to succeed, number one, comfort with higher management, which is really interesting. Are you comfortable walking into a room of senior people and holding your own? That's sort of gravitas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Learning on the fly, learning agility. Mike, you mentioned that earlier. It's incredibly important. Listening, 
listening is one of the top competencies. Uh, planning, drive for results, and what they call total work system, which, which really means how do you use all the different resources at your disposal. The flame out factors, which I love. I'm going to listen carefully here. Yeah, yeah, listen <laughs> Unable to adapt to differences, which is sort of the opposite of learning agility. Blocked personal learner means you can't grow. Yep. Failure to staff effectively. You're not hiring, nurturing good people. Non-strategic, that's kind of obvious. This one we've also talked about, over-dependence on a single skill. Yeah. So maybe you got hired because you were a great writer or a great media relations person, but boy, if that's your only, the only arrow in your quiver, you're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, lack of ethics and values. You actually see that all the time. You see CEOs getting knocked out for, uh, you know, Me Too behavior and things like that. Defensiveness. That really gets to self-awareness and openness. And then finally, performance problems. But I always found those very interesting and, and they ring quite true. Yeah, and Don, I, I just want you to know, I, ha I had none of those. Colors, <laughs> all right? I just want to make it clear. Just for clarity. Right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, you know, one of the things that's interesting that's been talked a lot about, and we've talked a little bit about it uh, here today, is the increasing importance of technology. But there's also been sort of this rising fear um, that, you know, Technology, particularly AI, is going to be used not so much to increase productivity, but to re reduce the actual need for some of us. And just kind of yeah. curious as to how do you coach organizations in and around that? Well, I'll, I'll answer it first by saying I, I, I'm clinging to an optimistic view on this which is, I remember when synthesizers came to market in the music world, yeah. and you, you could buy a keyboard basically and lay down a drum track and a bass guitar and then a lead guitar. And, and there was a lot of consternation that this is the end of musicians and the end of music ship as we know it. And that really hasn't proven true. Um, and I am hoping that's what AI will be for writers and creators and videographers and things like that. I could be wrong. It's much more powerful, but that's my personal uh, optimistic clinging. What I am seeing clients do and what I'm advising them to do is to jump into it with both feet, experiment with it, try it out, get adept at it, and really understand what works, what doesn't, what mm -hmm. we have to be afraid of. But don't be afraid of it. Just jump right in and keep playing with it. I don't have anything more sophisticated. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. Are, are there other emerging technologies? I'm a novice in this, but I will tell you, I, I, I've, I uh, regularly have long talks with Chris Perry, who's in charge of the future, basically, for Weber Shanwick. And he's a very forward-thinking guy. And I remember he we were talking about the Bud Light issue. And I was saying to him, I don't know how they could have planned for that. And he said, Oh yeah, they could have, if they had, if they had had the audience analysis yep. and been paying attention to it, they would have known that trans issues were exploding within their target audience. And they just would have stayed away. And I thought, you know what, 
Chris is right. Like that's that's the kind of technology CCOs should have more comfort with and should have on their desktop. Yeah. And it's really it's it's about perception of your audience. Yeah. Well, well, you know, one of the things that's fascinating to me with that response is some of that isn't new. Some of that's just be having the forethought in doing survey research of one kind or another. Yes. Yeah. You know, I it, Don, it's an interesting conversation to have about Bud Light, and I, and I agree with what Chris said because he's a really smart guy, and I'm a big fan of his newsletter. Um, you know, it's just this is the question I have about CCOs this these days: is the job is so big? Yeah. I mean, how can you possibly see into every corner of your company, and, and even with those tools? As you say, a relatively modest, probably, you know, one six pack of beer to a trans influencer and you're in the middle of culture wars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I agree with Chris that there m- might be fewer of those uh, problems if you had that capability. But, man, um, you just can't see it all. Yeah. Some of it's right? just the minefield. It's, it's the world today. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And be prepared and be prepared when when it it hits and i and i personally i think the you know the brewers of bud light are it's a great company i'm not so sure they handled it well after um they had the problems i want to dive back in don real quickly on organization yeah so i ran a team you know i only worked for one company and and uh, so multiple businesses 180 countries how do you think about an organization that is global and multi-business? Not many multi-business companies <laughs> left anymore, uh, including mine. But uh, uh, this is a question I get a lot. Is uh, I, I don't directly uh, supervise this communicator in the breaks part of the business, but I have to influence that person. How does a chief communications officer think about that? I I always smile at this question because I have a feeling between the three of us on this discussion, we we probably have a hundred years of experience in corporate (laughs) communications. And I don't know, every how many years management decides we need to centralize all of it and someone else comes in, we need to decentralize all of it. It's it's an ongoing debate as to which model is better. Um, But in the size of company you're talking about, it's very hard to have a centralized, although some do, some do, you know. Um, And the truth is both work, but you really do have to tailor your organization to to whichever model you choose. So Mm -hmm. if it's all centralized, you really have to create some kind of account management structure where there are senior people assigned to the businesses, embedded in the businesses, understand them, and then they have to be able to come back and use centralized resources in some kind of efficient manner to deliver the output, um, which is a challenge. Right. Mm-hmm. If you go with the decentralized model, you have to create all kinds of processes and committees that coordinate and yeah, and it's that's cumbersome. It doesn't always work, but 
I don't know that I have a silver bullet answer to either, yeah. but I watch yeah. a lot of companies struggle with yeah. it. Yeah, but I think it, you know, to what your answer even implies, it's not either or, it's an and. You know, it's yeah. not a but, yeah. it's yeah. an and. That's right. And, yeah. and it's trying to find the right balance. And, you know, how do you, how do you set a, a tone and tenor uh, for practice and a certain ethical construct that everybody's going to live within, that there's going to be, you know, a company X way of doing things, but then you're not going to have someone at the center digging deep in up to their elbows in something that's, you know, uh, 15 time zones away. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I always thought about it as like, if you help me, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, in the businesses and yeah. the regions, when the senior leadership of the company, you know, if something went wrong in Russia for GE, which it often did, um, Crimea, et cetera, um, the, the senior leadership wasn't going to call the communicator in Russia. They were going to call me. Right. So my job, I felt, was I, I wanted the best people I could have in Russia um, on staff and, and agency wise. And um, I will help develop them. Yep. You pick them. You're local. I will help develop them. Yeah. I, I, and that that sort of quid pro quo seemed to work. But it is, to your point, you know, it is having multiple matrices and um, it, it's a lot of management. Yeah. There is a lot of management when you're not centralized. We were centralized at a corporate level. Yeah. But business sure. by business and region by region, you just couldn't do it. it was you make impossible. a really uh, important point, though, Gary, because clearly within GE, you were trusted and known. Mm-hmm. And I, from knowing you, know that one of your towering strengths is your EQ, is your ability to build relationships and build trust. So mm-hmm. that paid off. And it's a big role of the CCO because you do want the head of the business unit saying, did you did you check with Gary? before mm-hmm. their people yep. go off and do anything. I have a quick, funny story that you guys will both appreciate. So, you know, Bill Nielsen was the longtime yeah, head yeah. of communications for J&J. His real name is Willard, but everybody called him Bill. And I had a close friend in LA who was the CFO at Neutrogena, which is one of the smaller units mm-hmm. of J&J. And he asked me if I knew Willard. And I said, yeah, I said, we call him Bill, but I know him. And he said, well, every time something goes wrong, my CEO says to me, does Willard know? <laughs> <laughs> and clearly they didn't know Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It didn't matter. And they just felt Willard had to know before anybody took any action. You don't know Bill. Yeah. There you go. So let's, let's a uh, couple more questions on and – Let's focus on something that um, I'm sort of interested in, given given that I'm old. Um, You know, you wrote a column for PR Week about having the grace, wisdom, and foresight to find the path toward adding value while holding open the door for the next generation of leaders. And you've made this move in your own career. Um, How do you coach CCOs on when it's time to transition to um, a, a younger generation uh, in the communications role in the, in the CCO spot, particularly? You know, if I'm honest, they usually get told 
<laughs> rather than they make the decision. Yeah, and, and, it's true. It's and true. I like, it's like United States senators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, to name a few. Yeah, <laughs> I prefer the corporate world in that regard because it's it's pretty relentless. It will tell you when your time has come most of the time, unless it's privately owned or you, or you have a stake. Um, this is a this is a, a hot button issue for me. I'm so angry politically on both sides of the aisle at people who don't know that it's time to step down. Hang on. Yeah. And we're seeing the consequences of it. But on the corporate side, we see it too. When you see CEOs uh, like Sumner Redstone, for example, if you want to read a great book, read Unscripted, which is about his demise and falling apart. It's a guy who just would not let go. And it's unnatural. It's unfair. And I see it in our profession. And I wish more CEOs would realize it and put a plan in place. It's the right thing to do for the company. It's the mm -hmm. right thing to do for themselves. And it's the right thing to do for their staffs. Um, and I think succession planning is not particularly well done in our yeah, function. I agree. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, I left GE at 55. And, you know, um, it had been 16 rough years for that yeah. company. Yeah. And it was yeah. a tough job. Oh, my God. And not to overstate it or, you know, but it was time for somebody else to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, different uh, skills, a little fresher, a little more energy. And, uh, you know, the company was at that point okay with it, right? Yeah. To be honest, they were yeah. okay with it. And, 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 uh, so uh, I think that's right. But the thing I was most proud of is I had three or four people, mm. right. That yeah. I felt like if I gave them the keys any day, <laughs> they were going to be fine. Right? And well, you, get, you getting, also... getting to what Don just had, had said, I mean, you go to the, uh, succession planning, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the ability to have, uh, bench strength, understand that bench strength, and then where you have weaknesses, where there's talent outside that you've clearly and readily identified uh, mm -hmm. becomes excruciatingly important, particularly in the larger organizations. I had a number two at Corn Ferry who was phenomenal. And I continued to just give him more and more responsibility. And what it allowed me to do was take on all kinds of new areas within Corn Ferry hmm. that I had no experience in and that was challenging, interesting, broadening for me. I became the chief integration officer when we would acquire consulting companies and other things to diversify wow. our business. I got handled I got handled the uh, hand of the project of what what are we going to do about LinkedIn, which got right to our value proposition. Sure. As an executive. And I, I just found those fascinating. And and I couldn't have done it if I was still to go back to my earlier analogy, if I was still ripping open my shirt with the Superman and Sydney on <laughs> to solve the communications. I, I want to see that done. But... <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we're done, Gary, I haven't yeah. taken it off. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, Don, we've this has been a fantastic conversation, really. And it, it, Thank it you. reminds me of why you're so good at what you do. It's just clear thinking. You know, we talked about a lot of things and it's an old GE phrase and I hate to use it. But, man, the ability to think clearly and analytically about things and express it 
succinctly uh, is is rare these days. Mm-hmm. I, I really think it, and you you can certainly do that. Thank so, you. what what advice would you give Don to people who want to become CCOs? Mike started this by saying, "Did you did you want to become a CCO?" And I said, "Yeah, did you even know what it was?" <laughs> yeah, never. I don't think I really knew what, what it was until. Page called me and they asked me if I wanted to be a member. I, you know, I was like, well, okay, yeah, sure. But um, <laughs> what about I, I teach here, Mike has taught, and we've all guest lectured, that kind of thing. What about young people who are aspiring to go into the communications profession and make it a career? What, what advice do you have for them? It's funny because I do give this advice and it's slightly annoying, I think. But if you really want to become the chief communications officer, you're going to have to work harder and be smarter than everybody else. Mm-hmm. It, it It's sort of like, how do you lose weight? You watch what you eat and you exercise. I mean, it, and it's true. It is such a demanding role. You talked about it, Gary. You need to be, you need to be on top of so many things. Yes, there are st- stepping stones you should be taking career-wise and in acquiring certain skills but in the end you really you have to be driven and ambitious and you have to want it um, particularly the higher up you go i'm going to add some ones some other pieces of advice that maybe be a little less traditional and uh in all seriousness i would say go to therapy work on yourself learn to be open work on those blind spots you know when you look at those flame out factors from the research blocked personal learner, defensiveness. Mm -hmm. These are issues about self-awareness and self-knowledge. So I'm a big believer in mindfulness also, which is Mm -hmm. where you have the ability to notice that you're overreacting and step back. And neurologically, what you're doing is you're shifting from the emotional part of the brain to the executive center. And I can't think of a better place to be when you're in the chief communications officer role. You've got to be in that clear thinking rational part of your brain. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Don, thank you very much. This has really been fascinating and and I think a must listen for folks in our our field. Don Spetner from Weber Shanwick. You do all kinds of things there, but you're called a senior advisor. Uh, Man, if I were a CCO these days, I'd be uh, on the phone to you and trying to figure things out. So Don, thank you so much for being on the crux. Mike, thanks for another great episode. And we'll be back, listeners, next week with another episode of The Crux of the Story. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Crux, and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.